A new perspective explores breakthrough strategies, techniques, and technologies with leading industry experts to optimize the human mind, body, and spirit. A better you enriches the community around you and progressively renews the world. We are a community dedicated to that impact. Welcome to A New Perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to A New Perspective. Today I am joined in studio with a good friend of mine, Ms. Sherry Babai. Hello. As well as Dr. Matt out here in California. Welcome, sir. What's going on? So today we're going yeah, to dive into all kinds of great stuff on natural healing uh, and all kinds of amazing stuff. But first and foremost, uh, Dr. Matt, let me just introduce you to everybody. And if you would, wouldn't mind, just share maybe a little bit on your bio and kind of what you do for everybody. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, my background um, is in a number of different things. Um, from the natural healing perspective, um, I have a doctorate in chiropractic and a master's in acupuncture. I spent 10 years practicing a technique called network spinal analysis that's really focused on helping kind of evolve and self-regulate the nervous system. Um, also, for the past eight or so years, I've been coaching entrepreneurs and really getting them into high performance mode uh, and helping them grow their businesses and making sure they're uh, not just growing, but a Evolving and really creating businesses that are helping move the, the narrative of uh, entrepreneurship forward in a way that makes sure that the, the good of humanity and the good of business is really being brought forward and celebrated. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah, mo most of our audience are people that are interested in either optimizing their own performance and or using natural medicine as a way to kind of make optimal performance anyway. So that's very awesome. And then Sherry, Sherry's been a friend of mine for a long time since we were kids, but she's an absolute badass in a million different ways. Um, and you've kind of done it all. You want to share a little bit on just kind of your story and your journey here? Yeah, definitely. I know um, we've had a chance to kind of dive heavily into my story in the previous podcast that we did, but my background has really just been sales and business for a very, very long time. Um, the way I got an opportunity to meet Dr. Matt was actually through a business venture that I had out in California. That business venture failed miserably, and Dr. Matt was instrumental in, um, in, in multiple ways. He was instrumental uh, by being somebody who was a massive support and being able to go through um, that journey with me while I was in in the midst of kind of building things all the way up and then he was instrumental in kind of helping me when I was having a full breakdown and man when I say I had a breakdown like a full nervous system breakdown in every way that you can possibly think um, and just a lot of the tools that he had whether it was network spinal analysis or um, tools that he had with just being able to um, help with emotional healing or just the nervous system in general through coaching has just been instrumental so really excited to have him on. Awesome. So I want to kind of tee up our conversation, Dr. Matt. So, so the way I was actually first introduced to network spinal analysis, I'll kind of give you a little bit of a story and then we can kind of dive into this. So uh, we started a, a natural health company, right? We, a, a new apothecary is basically formulated by naturopathic doctors using plant medicine. And we've kind of brought some of the modern pharmaceutical manufacturing practices into like micronization, increasing bioavailability, things like that. And cool. so... I, as a kind of a, I'm a natural skeptic. I'm, I'm somebody who kind of like, you know, I'm a big believer in the scientific method and like, let's look at, you know, empirical data. 
But I get brought out to a conference that was in the middle of the desert with all of these naturopathic doctors called Restore the V's Conference. And I was just like, you know, a couple of buddies, one of my friends that was a formulator for us uh, was running the conference. And he said, hey, come out and meet all these different types of natural healers. And there's three days out in the desert. And my wife, my wife's a lawyer. She's worse than I am as far as like skepticism. <laughs> and we were just like, all right, we're just going to like go and whatever happens, happens. We're just going to go check it out. And the first thing, I mean, so we, we show up to this, this, you know, desert where we're camping out and there's everything from, from sound healers, herbologists. We went on an herb walk out in the desert and picked our own herbs growing out in the desert and made medicine out of it. We made our wow. own root beer out of roots in the ground. And we like, it was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had for sure. And network spinal analysis was actually being done. And it was one of those things it was just wild. Um, <laughs> seeing some of the results that people were getting. And so for anybody that's maybe listening in right now, that's kind of like, you know, there's woo woo, I guess is like the best word I think for like some of like the stuff in the natural world, but also like results is the name of the game. And I've seen results in so many ways uh, from a lot of these different stuff. And so uh, I guess just to kind of go there, like, you know, how would you describe network spinal analysis? Somebody who doesn't even know what it is or how it works. What what is network spinal analysis? I guess. Yeah, great. So it's a system of chiropractic that probably doesn't look like any other form of chiropractic you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all based on light touches on the spine, and it helps to regulate the autonomic nervous system. You have an intelligent audience, so they probably know the autonomic nervous system is what controls the fight and flight response and the parasympathetic nervous system, which brings us back to healing, restoration, and really optimal functioning in the body. So the thing that's different about that, that may all sound like really cool and scientific and, and neat, but through the light touches that you make on the spine, you often have people um, who feel a, a profound sense of peace and relaxation. They feel stress drop away for the first time in a long time. A lot of times you have people who might have an emotional release or they have a movement, uh, whether a breath or an actual physical uh, muscular wave that moves through the spine. So there's this whole range of experiences that happens from the physical to honestly the spiritual without, you know, going too far into the woo category. Um, and it's all a, a set of mechanisms to really help upgrade the neurology so that the body can do more, experience more, feel more, and have access to more. So in terms of, you know, just kind of like uh, good quality um, evolutionary biological neurological processes, it's one of my favorite modalities. Right on. And, and part of what I think is overlooked in, in the Western medicine side of the world and what I, what I like about the natural side of things is it actually incorporates you being a participant in your healing, right? Yeah. I, there's, a, there's a big kind of aspect of Western medicine of like just take the pill and the pill does all the work and yeah. that's what it is versus, you know, even on a, on a, on a clinical study, you have, you know, a control group and a test group and What's amazing to me when I started looking at like clinical studies and you start seeing like placebo outcomes of people that, you know, don't get a particular pill but are told that they are and they, they're getting saying, hey, like this is a this is the, the pill we're, we're testing out and they believe that they're getting something that's supposed to heal them and standard results is like 30%. 30% of this group has some standard deviation improvement on their health outcomes. Sometimes it's way more than 30%. Sometimes it's 50%, up to 70% I've seen. 
Um, and so the power of your mind and the power of you believing that you're getting a healing modality is real. That's definitely yeah. something that works. Um, you know, and, and I guess that's the part I guess I'm trying to separate in when I look at some of this stuff out there is how much of this is what we're believing. It does it matter. Like, you know, we're really believing we're taking control of this health outcome. And if you believe that it's working, it's working for you. And you know, if you're a skeptic going into it and you're not getting as much of a benefit or how's your experience, I guess, been with people, I guess, just in that light. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, Basically, what we're talking about is scientific materialism, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at the body as a collection of chemical reactions, uh, physical moving parts, and kind of in that more mechanistic way, then it's going to be really challenging at some level to continue to see some of the phenomenon that occur because we are not just a, a walking, clever meat suit. You know, we have all these other parts of the processes that go on, go on. And anytime you start to have scientific studies that use control group that don't take into account emotional state, stress level, uh, developmental and evolutionary level, then you have a really diverse kind of control population. And it's going to affect kind of the way that you're looking at the scientific process that you're taking people through. And I mean, I've seen crazy things happen with people on the table where you you make a contact or two just really light touches and there's this big emotional response that rolls through and all of a sudden you know the, this tension pattern that had been sitting in their body for days weeks months or years starts to let go simply because they it was the right moment for them right like there was the right point in the process for them to move into this healing experience and they weren't able to hide this emotion in their system anymore now it's hard to talk to a rational, linear, reductionistic, scientific mind about that and say, why is that the reason, you know, why is now the moment? But it just turns out over and over that when someone's ready to heal, it usually happens on more than just the biophysical level. Sure, sure. Well, and, and there's definitely things that happen scientifically that we know that it's predictable to see it work, and we still don't fully know why. Um, yeah. I injured my knee a while back. There's a, a guy, Dr. Hagner uh, in Encinitas, that uh, I, I hurt my right knee playing football. And for four years, it was just messed up. Mm -hmm. And I went to him. My other buddy had had a volleyball injury and said, this guy fixed my knee. You got to go see him. So I go and he puts, you know, he does a couple things and he puts an acupuncture needle in my left elbow. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Okay, dude, what are you doing to me? <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, I'm doing, my right knee is hurt. And then he's like, all right, like, you know, pop off the table and like give me a squat. And I was like, okay, sounds good. And then I go down and like in four years, I had never been able to make it past a horizontal line without wow. extreme pain. And, you know, I'm going down and all of a sudden I get past that threshold and my face lights up like, and then it kind of freaked out. Like, if, if it wouldn't have happened to me personally, I would have been like, you're, you're lying or this isn't real, yeah. but to see it happen. So like an acupuncture, I, I guess to say is one of those things where it works and it, it works. I mean, really well. So many people have incredible testimonials that swear by it. And even I was asking him and he's like, you know, what happened? What just happened there in the body? He's like, well, there's this whole energy pathways and we know that if, you know, this thing works and this thing is blocked over here, but I can't exactly tell you scientifically what just happened, but we just know that when we do this, it does work. So, and I don't, yeah. is, is that kind of, I guess, what you're describing there? Or? It, 
in a lot of ways and and here's kind of the crux of that issue is that that's a really unsatisfying answer sure and because it's an unsatisfying answer because people can't push the button that that happened then they push back and they go to into cognitive dissonance their brain doesn't know what to do with it and they just decide that you know, I, I don't know what to make of this and either I'm going to do it or I'm going to reject it. But having that challenge of understanding really kind of uh, uh, polarizes people to a camp of yes or no, good or bad. Right. So uh, that happens in a lot of different ways. And, you know, it, at the risk of, again, kind of invoking the woo-woo rabbit hole, there is, you know, some sort of biophysical energy that is moving through our system. It's been a part of natural remedies and natural medicine systems for literally thousands and thousands of years. And it's not until, you know, the scientific revolution that we really started to reject that wholesale. So we're in the, the minority of time in terms of civilization and humanity that has actually understood that that's part of the way that the body works. Definitely. Definitely. Well, and so, and, and Sherry, I love your take on this because, you know, obviously we've known each other since we were, I think I was 18, you were 17. We came up in the business world and I've watched, you know, you build businesses across the country. Um, I've watched you build a business into the seven figure in revenue category. Um, and you're somebody who has been through big ups, big downs, big ups again. And you've, you've had Dr. Match in a, co in a coaching capacity. Um, so yeah, I guess, you know, w what's your take so far on, on a lot of the stuff that you've experienced with them? Oh, what was so interesting to me, um, and, and Dr. Matt will, will probably crack up is at the beginning of our work together, I came in with this massively intellectual sense of exactly what he was describing. If, if something fit in this box, right? Like, especially in the sales world, if I talk to X amount of people, my conversion rate is X, then I'm going to get this result. It was very, very linear. And when I started working with him, it was the first time that things were not linear. It was no longer just intellectual. And, um, and I realized there's more than one level of intelligence. And the only intelligence that I had massively focused on in three years of even personal development through school, through business, it was also done so linear in my world of if I think a certain way, this is the outcome that's going to happen. If I do this thing, this is the outcome that's going to happen. And it was the first time that I um, met a human being who not only had produced results with people who had been so much more successful than I had been, but somebody who really understood different levels of intelligence. And that's actually something I'd love to get into, um, Dr. Matt, is uh, intellectual intelligence is one form of intelligence. But I know that you work in several different areas. And um, I know one of the, the magical moments for me personally was literally the idea of feeling your feelings versus thinking about your feelings, which I know just sounds so rudimentary and like, yeah, of course you feel your feelings. If you're sad, you feel being sad, but that's not how I experienced it. I really, I thought about why am I sad and how can I not be sad and am I justified to be sad or why am I angry? And, um, and that was my first introduction was actually with Dr. Matt and being able to help me with intelligence of my emotions or my, my body. So I'd love to get into that a little bit too, Dr. Matt, if you can kind of um, expand and talk about some of the modalities and some of the tools that you have in your tool chest around that. 
Yeah, I mean, you've talked to me about this just a little bit on the, on that note. Like, and obviously, like EQ, the emotional intelligence, and in your stuff is a huge kind of growing field right now. Um, outside of just IQ, right? Of people, how how intellectually intelligent you are. Um, and yeah, I'd love to have your take on this, Doctor Matt, just because that's something that I I'm much I consider myself rational. My my go to strength, the thing that I lean on the most, is just rationality. And if I can't rationalize something. I have a very difficult time kind of processing it, I guess. Uh, but yeah, so sh- Sherry says you've helped her a ton in that department. So yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to start from a logical and rational place and work my way backwards into something that might take a little bit more believing. Okay. Um, so from a business perspective, most of the research that I've seen come out in terms of quality in high level executives that is the most important is not rational cognitive intelligence. It's not like being able to crack the whip or anything like that, but it's really empathy. It's really being able to be present to the experience of what another person is going through so that you can help guide and shape their experience and move them through that. And we're seeing that all through the conscious capitalism world and lots of kind of research is going into that emotional part of the process. Now, the question becomes, what is emotion, right? Because we have a kind of generic label of, you know, happy, sad, or angry, or, you know, joy, grief, sorrow, like all that stuff, right? But what the heck is that? You know, we don't usually know that that process is going on until it's kicking our ass, until it's on top of us. Um, And the truth of it is that most of this awareness for me started in the past, you know, I've had 22 years of meditation practice. And in meditation, we sit on the cushion, we notice the sensation rising in the body. We allow that sensation to be there. And then we notice what it does. You know, we allow the mind to relax and we just watch the process. So the truth is that every single reaction, every emotion, every kind of non-logical and a lot of the logical too, start from a sensation in the body, right? There's a little tightness in the chest. And, or there's a, our gut shuts down, like right? all in the nervous system reaction in the biophysiology happens first. So if we miss that, then we start to think based on what the neurology is doing, but we miss that we're reacting and not responding. So all of a sudden there's an, a, a quote unquote logical reaction to what's happening in the moment, but it's all driven by emotion. And most people have no awareness that there's this whole other, what I call data stream that's happening in the body, right? There's all this information that's coming up and we can really start to get aware of that and how that's driving us to think in a certain way. Uh, And when we can start to acknowledge that and feel that, then we can really uh, not buy into the process that our body may be leading us down because it's usually habitual and not always as conscious as we think it is. And then we have access to a whole new range of experiences that's really an examining and a response to what's going on in life rather than just kind of snapping into habitual ways of, of thinking and responding. So I, I guess to quantify what you're saying, I, I like with worry, right? Worry is a biological response, right? You, you can measure 
through like cortisol rising and things like that of like having anxiety, but it's a biological response to something that's not happening now. Yep. Right. And so it's like to get the woo woo side of it, right. It's like, that really is like, there's something biologically happening inside of you that it's purely emotionally driven yep. that it's not happening to you. And yeah. so I guess what, I guess, what do you do then? If you're, if somebody's going through this biological process where the natural reaction is your fight or flight is kicking in, you're now getting into a place of like, do I fight or do I run? Um, what's your alternative? Yeah. Great question. So I'll ask you specifically, what does worry feel like in your body? Um, for you specifically, not yeah. the, the answer that you know to be true. Yeah. When, when I'm feeling worried, um, so there's, I guess I have a pattern, right? Like, uh, typically I get, um, overwhelmed where I would, I mean, by, you mean biologically or psychologically? What's the sensation? What do you feel in your physical form? In my physical body, I would have like shortness of breath. I would have, um, I mean, my natural reaction is check out. Like I just check out when I get overwhelmed. I'm just like, I'm going to like, nope, screw this. I'm doing something different. And I'll like lock into anything, but what I'm overwhelmed about. Um, yeah. usually I guess my, my physical reaction is just like, I don't know, maybe I don't sit well with worry. I just kind of distract <laughs> and do something different. <laughs> I think this is typical, right? Yeah. And, and the typical response now is we go to our phone, yeah. we, you know, check Facebook, we do whatever we do, we get into something that will give us enough passive neurological stimulus to break the pattern or to give us enough biochemical response to something that will kick off a new cycle. Um, and you're right, checking out is the way that most people do that. But the funny thing about this is by the time that happens, your whole system's hijacked already. You know, you are already shutting down blood to the prefrontal cortex. So you're not in higher brain function. You're in reptilian limbic brain function, at least a percentage. Um, and the quality of thoughts and the quality of outcomes that you're going to be able to create from that space is not nearly as interesting, valuable, useful as if you were going back to a, a state of ease and peace. And most people are in that state trying to think their way out of the feelings that are happening in the neurology and have no idea that there's this whole other thing happening below the neck that they need to chill the hell out. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so is it meditation? Is that the move? You just like you got to zen out and meditate, or what do you recommend when somebody's? I mean, I think that there's a whole range of things. The first thing that when people are getting uh, on this path that I recommend is that they, whether it's meditation or something else, that they start getting aware of the signal the body's sending them. So for you, using the example, I would say when you start to feel that like I got to check out, stop, and just. Don't do the checkout thing, you know, the phone or whatever, and just take 10 seconds and see what's actually going on. Take a deep breath, feel what's really going in, going on in there, name the sensation, name the emotion so that you're actually clear what's happening. And then based on doing that for a while, and again, could be meditation, could just be a practice like that. I recommend that people get into activities that are actually supporting 
um, building the type of experience in their neurology that they want to have. So for me, one of the things that I do is powerlifting. I go into the gym, I work out like a mother and get all that energy moving through my system so I can feel all the intensity that I want to. And then when it comes to being on client calls and I've got the, the stress of their whole business in the call, I'm really aware of what's going on in here and I don't need to, to kind of like get hijacked in that system because there's something else already happening. That's killer. That's super killer. Sherry, I, I know you just went through this. I think your insight actually would be valuable on how you processed a lot of this stuff going through very difficult challenges in the business world as well. Yeah, actually, what what I would like even um, instead of just diving into my experience is yeah. a little bit more insight from Dr. Matt. Can you walk more into some of the work on literally how to actually process that feeling? I know that you just went into one example and one tool, but what are some other methods that you have that when an emotion's coming up, especially when it is an emotion that is super uncomfortable for you to notice that to get in a space that you can process that a little bit quicker? Totally. Yeah. So this, uh, I'm going to give some data and some reasoning that people don't usually like. So I'll preface with that. <laughs> and that's that any emotion has value and use and emotions only function is to be felt and to give us data. So if we are constantly in the rejection of emotion in order to get to our next best thought, Again, we've missed a completely important data stream on what's actually going on. And when people are pissed off, when people are sad, when they're nervous, my recommendation is they sit and they just pay attention to the feeling and they let the energy and the sensation move through their body, right? Because there's there's a, a, an intelligence and a wisdom to the biochemistry of the emotion. Right? It's releasing all sorts of healing enzymes and uh, biochemical responses. There's a hormonal response that's occurring. And when we're down-regulating that response with the mind, we're actually shutting off a, a type of our intelligence and a type of our healing pro uh, process. So when we are skillful with our emotions and not just like how to be nice to people, which is what most people think of when they think of EQ, but actually being skillful with how to feel a feeling that emotion takes 60, 90, 120 seconds. It's a, a flood of experience that moves through. It brings tears or brings laughter or brings anger. Um, and then the emotion is done. And usually where people get really messed up with this whole process is they start thinking about it and they start reasoning about it and they start perpetuating on it and really kind of getting lost in the sensation uh, or in the thought and then they perpetuate the cycle. So if we can just actually feel and allow the tears or allow the laughter or allow the big smile and, you know, and stop the repression, then that whole internal process has someplace to go. So I, I guess I just think like, notice like part of what the act of meditating, right? Is this, like observing what's happening mm -hmm. and like being not just the person who's in it, but the person who's watching the person who's in it. Yeah. Right. And like have like the detached observer of like, Oh, like there's this emotion happening. Like, let me just notice the sensation that that produces. And just yeah. that, like I'll say, and like just th that for 10 minutes, there's a huge difference in mm -hmm. the amount of presence that you can bring to everything that you do, right? Just being yep. able to like, 
it just calms everything down. And like, I'm a better husband. I'm a better friend. I'm able to think about better business ideas and, and I'm able to yep. deal with everything on such a better way just through 10 minutes of like calming everything down. It's almost like uh, to use like a computer, I guess, system. it's almost like all of us have all these windows open on our browser and it's like getting to click out of like a, the billion different windows that we have <laughs> running of like house, work, job, friendship, blah, 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 like all this stuff. And it's just like, you know, closing it all out and, you know, getting more capacity. So um, totally. I would actually go e even a step further of um, the process that you described is definitely a tool of sitting there and being the observer. But I've also seen that process be utilized to, again, detach from the emotion and think about it or utilize the brain to not feel the thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, one of the one of the experiences that I have is anxiety. And when anxiety comes up, I cannot think my way out of anxiety. Mm -hmm. I cannot sit down and meditate in that moment. It's such a physical response. I feel sick to my stomach. I feel like I start stacking. So there's all of these things. It's like, oh, I'm going to get fired. And then my business is going to go down. And then this is going to happen. And my boyfriend's going to leave me. And then my friends are going to hate me. And I'm the worst daughter. And like when that is happening, it, it's, it, it is such a difficult um, intellectual thing again to process that I just the number one thing that I do and I've discovered that for me anxiety is it, it comes from a place of I'm uncertain of what's going to happen so I'm going to keep you safe by thinking of the worst possible situations that could possibly come up and because of that you should be able to think your way through that but it's just way too overwhelming for my nervous system so the first thing I think about in that scenario is I put my hand on my heart and I literally say you're just experiencing anxiety. And then I allow myself to be in the discomfort of anxiety. I just say, yep, and as the thoughts are coming up, I'm not believing those thoughts. I'm just letting them come through and be rampant. And something that helps me in that scenario is I just go and I physically move, whether that's go on a walk or do some jumping jacks or get out of bed immediately. It's not, I'm not utilizing my mind to process that emotion in any way. I'm using my body to process it. And I'm literally allowing my system to sit in that discomfort instead of trying to find a way for the discomfort to go away. So that's the distinction that I've realized um, in terms of how to kind of process emotions versus before I would be like, why am I experiencing this anxiety? Let me sit here and be really clear. Let me put on some some music. Maybe I do get on my phone. You know, what's coming up? Is this from a childhood wound? Why am I thinking about Carl breaking up with me? He's not going to break up with me. Maybe this is going to happen. So like those are the things that I normally would would go through. Whereas now I just go, you're just having anxiety and that's all that's coming up. So I'd, I'd love Dr. Matt. And that's something that I've learned really from you. Um, if you can get into, maybe we can, we can talk about a couple of emotions specifically, or some of the different tools that you have again on what is the difference between thinking about your emotions versus fully feeling your emotions. Well, and, and let me ask, just to preface that, cause like I hear my dad in my head, as you're saying all this, my dad is a construction worker, you know, built his way. He's like a dude's dude. And if I was trying to tell my dad, like, dad, you just got to sit with your anxiety and really feel and process, it'd be like, uh, what? <laughs> but I think like, you're, I mean, everything that you're saying, I love, like, it's so true because my, my knee jerk reaction is turn off that, that feeling is bad. You can't have that feeling. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and if I, if I let myself sit and be with anxiety, I might die. Like, I don't know, like, <laughs> 
So like, I don't know, I don't know where this door leads. I don't know how far this goes down. And so like, that is the knee jerk reaction of no, 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 no. I can't, I can't sit with, I gotta, I gotta block that out. Get away from that. That's bad. Um, and I guess that's, I just to name what is happening here and everything that you're describing, Sherry, I love because it's, to, it's to me, that sounds like the feminine approach of like, just feel it, just be with it. Like, it's okay. Which I know is necessary. Like you need both. Absolutely. And you know, I just, uh, yeah, like that's, I, I want to get better at that. I love that. I like, guess how do you help people that are in, I guess my frame of reference right now? So yeah so th there's a couple things um you know a, a big part of the work that i use in my practice with my clients is a system called integral theory and one of the main parts of integral theory is developmental levels of human adults right and part of what we see and i'm not going to go down the integral rabbit hole because it's a deep one um but part of what we see is that there are certain stages of development where humans are not really willing to embrace their emotion and they are going to wholesale reject emotion, right? So like, I don't know your dad, but the classic kind of label of construction worker yeah. would typically be a group of people, you know, not so emotionally in tune all the time. So what do you do with that person, right? And, you know, they're gonna oftentimes, if we take the stereotype, they're going to reject therapy and they're not going to sit and, you know, they, they don't want to go do ayahuasca, you know, like that kind of stuff isn't going to be their thing. Right. So if you can get them to do just what Sherry was mentioning, not necessarily sit and feel, but to move, because if you notice anxiety, when it comes up, it, it, it goes in one of two ways, either it's going to make you sit down and just think and perseverate, or if it's so bad that you're in overwhelm, it's going to get you to pace, right? So if you can go for a walk, if you can go do something active, if you can cut the grass, if you can go lay bricks, you know, whatever it is to kind of get you into something constructive where the, the energy of the emotion has an output, then there's, there's option there. And usually it will start to diminish over time. Now, what I've seen is that at some point the emotion is going to continue to knock on the door and they're going to have to face it. And that's part of the catalyst for evolution. So that's going to happen. But in the meantime, give them a strategy to go do something. And then secondly, to your point, there's this funny part of the process where I have to, uh, I'll say it this way. I have in the past convinced people that you got to tell your emotion to bring it on most people are terrified of their own emotions. And if you think about like uh, uh, watching a toddler having an emotions, you're like, it's just a thing. But we have the same biochemical process happening inside. It's the same response. It's the same neurology. And we are terrified of it. So at some point you learn to say, all right, fear, come on, let's go, bring it on. Tell me what you got to say. Bring you like, I'm not gonna hide from you anymore or anxiety or anger or whatever it is. And we allow it in and we choose not to be afraid of it. But inside of the allowing it in is a whole bunch of narratives that we've been telling ourselves, right? So if you say, okay, if I get anxious, that means I'm not gonna be able to do the business thing and we're gonna lose revenue and then my wife is gonna feel this way and, and there's this whole cascade of meaning making and meaning making is the scariest thing to people. 
Um, and then the second is, what does it mean about me specifically? It's identity challenging. So by avoiding the emotion, we perpetuate the fear of the change in identity or the meaning that the emotion is actually trying to demonstrate or present to us. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. I think for the average person, I mean, it's, that's a lot there. Like our identities <laughs> are obviously the things that we'll defend to the death, right? I mean, people yes. will, will, will defend the identity that they've built up about themselves, even if it doesn't serve them at all. Yep. Um, that's that's an interesting rabbit hole to go down, I guess. Is, is yeah. What's what's interesting too is you you also brought up like uh, viewing processing emotions as such a feminine thing, which is I, I completely understand that too. I you know I grew up being like I don't want to cry because that makes me weak or um, emotions. Being somebody who's just been generally in business um, as my career and in sales, it's like, oh, emotions have no place in business and kind of going down that linear path, which is so funny because being on the other side of it, it's like having a conversation with someone. And, and the way I would, I, I, the analogy I would use is somebody being like, oh, if you can just speak to people, that's great. But if you know how to like read and write, that's such a feminine thing to do. Or that's, it, it's just a different language set, I guess, uh, is a way that I can put it. And now when I have conversations, with people, man, are those conversations better? I can get on on the call with somebody who is an executive of another company, a CEO that sounds really overwhelmed. And instead of not talking about that emotion, I literally will bring it up and say, "Hey, this was a really stressful situation, and I know this was extremely frustrating. Um, but what I'm really hearing you say is." this was super overwhelming. Is it really just this issue that really caused that much problems in, in your world right now? Or is there something else going on? And you would not believe the highest level of executives. You will just hear a sigh of, actually, I've been working 75 days nonstop. Or actually, X, Y, and Z has happened. And now there is a feeling of the fact that uh, the best way I, I could describe it is this person feels seen so you can connect with them on a different way. Or if that feels too woo-woo, this feel, person feels understood and feels like, man, this person that was on the other end of the line or this human that I'm interacting with or my partner not only took the time to actively listen but truly understands what I'm going through. They picked up on things that I didn't just verbally say. They didn't just pick up the rational linear line. Um, so I'd love actually your input a little bit more on this, Dr. Matt, of the, the fact of processing your emotions. What's the distinctions of processing your emotions versus quote unquote being emotional? And do you view that as more of a feminine energy type way? Or how have you seen your work work with people? Um, some of the uh, clients that you work with that are extremely grounded, masculine men. Yeah, I love that question. And I love your example. Um, I've found doing high-end sales, right? This is the coaching world for me is a, a high-ticket item that the sales process in particular, uh, the more emotional space I can bring to it, the better and more easily it goes. So I want to parse apart what that means a little bit. By emotional space, what I mean is that I'm clear on what I'm feeling in the process 
and I'm not getting lost or swung or kind of like in the, the flood of my own experience. And I can be present and connected to what the other person is, is going through, what they're feeling, what they're noticing. And the truth of it is that at the nut of the sales process, obviously what you're selling, the quality has to be good, all of that, right? But if the person, especially in high ticket, if they don't feel rapport with you, you're screwed. And rapport is going to be really a neurological phenomenon. It's that there's enough matching occurring. There's enough kind of you being able to be with this person and with, without having the tools to notice what's going on inside you, typically the place that I see people fall down in sales is that they're kind of lost in their own experience or they're making it about them. Right. So Sherry, I, I love what you said in terms of the business world. I think that totally makes sense. And then kind of bridging into the question of, is it a, a masculine or feminine thing? I would say that yes and no. So like the feminine side of it is allowing it to come up and move through and being in the feeling of it and allowing yourself to go through the whole process. Right. So that would be the feminine side. For me, my energetics are a little more masculine, but they fairly masculine. For me, it's about riding the emotion. So if I'm pissed off, I'm going to use that as an energy source, find out why I'm pissed off, and identify the, the, the thing that I want to go demolish, you know, the, the limiting belief, the, the um, sales quota, you know, like whatever it is. And I'm going to drive that energy into forward motion and momentum and use it as a, as a useful and valuable energy source. But I could never get to that if I thought that it meant something about me as a human, right? Because then I would be in the running away of some sort of kind of dysfunctional idea about who Matt is, instead of saying, no, this is just a feeling I'm having, so let's try this thing and go, go crush it. Definitely. That's killer. So a, a follow-up that, that I would have to that, I think a lot of men listening to this, at least this is my perspective, is they can relate with that feeling of anger. And I've seen men be able to process anger um, better than any other emotion because I feel like that, again, that's an emotion where if you're angry, right, it doesn't make you girly or feminine. But what about sadness? Can you talk about how you as a masculine, more masculine energy uh, male utilizes sadness and you don't when sadness pops up are you also using that energy to just like move it in momentum and go crush it or how do you i guess ride sadness versus sit in it and feel it like i usually am sitting in my car or if i'm out on a walk or whatever i'll say i'm feeling sad right now and i will i'll not hide from it i'll just acknowledge and i'll set uh, I'll, and this is another valuable and important thing. So there's the stimulus of what's happening, right? So my dog died. I broke up with my girlfriend. You know, I lost a sales opportunity, whatever it was, right? So there's the stimulus and then there's the response. And we usually have those things kind of mashed together. So because A is happening, B is my feeling. But the truth is A is happening and separately I'm having this response. I'm in control of what I'm experiencing if I allow myself to feel the feeling. So the first thing I'll do is say, ah, I'm feeling really sad right now. And typically for me and, and my clients and the people that I teach this, the first thing that happens is they take a big deep breath because the brain and the body have gotten reconnected. Now the brain is on the same page of what the body is actually feeling and they can start working together again to go someplace else. 
like, oh man, yeah, that really sucked. I'm not happy with how that went. Or I'm, I'm really bummed, you know, that this went that way. Okay, I'm just going to allow myself to feel this. And the more you learn how to track it, there's sensation of the sadness that's sitting like a rock on your heart, right? Or it's like a, if there's shame associated, it'll sit like a stone in your stomach. And if we can just breathe through that, if we can allow it to be there, typically it'll drop away. And then I'll say, okay, what do I choose now? Is this going to be something I want to learn from and move forward? Or do I want to spend today wallowing in this? And typically by allowing myself to feel that it allows more opportunity for forward momentum that doesn't include this situation coming up later and kind of telling me how much I suck at whatever it was that I was sad about um, versus if we just push it down the way men typically do, it'll show up later and say, well, hey, remember that time when you sucked at this thing? Um, and that's usually how I address it, uh, acknowledge, allow, and then just let it move. So I guess let's go on a deeper situation where maybe you have something that really does challenge your identity. Let's say you start a business and, and the business fails or yeah. you have a, a, a marriage and your marriage fails or something that really yeah. like challenges your identity of if I'm not the person that's successful at this, then I don't even know who the hell I am. Like what, yeah. what am I? Right? And I'm not the person that I thought I was. And a lot of times I think we get stuck in a place where it's like, I just want to stew in this thing right now. Like I'm pissed or I'm sad or I'm whatever. And I don't want to get over it right now. Like I just want to, I just want to lay in this mud and I just want to lay here. Right. I mean, what do you, I guess for somebody who's in that space, how do you a like, I imagine it's like, okay, like lay in the mud, whatever. If you want to lay in the mud, lay in the mud, but you know, you don't want to lay there forever. So I guess, you know, what's your advice or how would you coach somebody through something like that? Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on the situation. So by the time someone's coaching with me and we're on a call or, you know, we're together, we're, I'm pretty sure change is kind of their orientation. Right. But yeah, shit comes up where they say, I don't want to change right now. And I say, awesome. I've been there too. I've certainly been in times where I don't want to change. Tell me what you're noticing about it. Like, and, and just I'll have them speak through what is happening for them right now. Well, if change is stupid. This is never going to work. Like I've been here so many times. Why is this happening? Like whatever the story is, right? That's the reason that they don't want to change. That's the reason that they feel like they want to hide from the future. And what you said is really interesting. Like, if my business fails, then like, who am I? Good question. Who are you? What the hell did your business failing have anything to do with who you are? You're a, you're a dude doing a business. Like, so it failed. So what? Like, I've had businesses fail. Sherry has. I've had relationships fail. I've been married. I'm not married. Like, I've been through all those things. And it doesn't have any impact on the identity of who I am. And once we, uh, again, go into the allowing of, okay, who am I? Does this actually impact the identity of who I am? No. Did I fuck that up? Yeah. I fucked that one up big time. Okay. So what am I going to do? I'm going to learn from it, and I'm going to go out and try something different. Hmm. I might not be really excited to do that in this moment. I might need to lick my wounds a little bit, but 
I don't need to let it mean that I can't do business. Sure. Definitely. That's awesome. That's really awesome. So something I would have as a follow-up question and and especially segueing into what's going on in the world right now with a pandemic, I think for a lot of people listening to this, they might say, man, that would be a lot easier if my business failed because of something that I did, right? Like I can be able to look at that and say, oh, I fucked up. I want to move on. But what if it's something that I didn't do? There's a pandemic that came on and my business completely failed. I feel completely out of control. What would your conversation be to that person? Well, even if it's like, and, and not only did it fail by something out of my control, someone else in, you know, DC said, my business is not essential and my customers are not allowed to access me. And I, you know, and some other person failed my business, right? Like made me go through that. Um, yeah, that's a big one. That's interesting. Yeah. What would your, what would your take on that be? Um, I would get down to asking them what they're thinking and what they're believing about it because yeah, they're going to be pissed that, you know, the business failed and it wasn't their fault. Um, and if they can't move forward, then either there's a belief that I'm helpless, I'm a victim, you know, the world isn't fair. Um, I, it's not safe for me to trust that I can try again. Um, from the belief in the internal side of things, there's likely some stuff that has to get cleaned up there outside of the external, like I need cash to start a business or whatever it is. So I would just aim towards like, what's the actual belief set that's happening? Um, because the truth of it is, you know, this is obviously different than the 2008 crisis, but in 2008, we had in the following years, we had more millionaires made than in the whole decade before, you know, there was more businesses like Apple or Amazon, um, and Tesla, like that's when all of them got their big start and look at now they're the freaking juggernauts of the, of the industry. So recognizing that any moment of chaos is a massive moment for opportunity. But if we're tuned to tracking the chaos instead of tracking what's opening up and where the opportunity is coming from, then we're in the wash of the fear and the negative thinking, and we're going to miss the new market that's emerging or the new segment or the new need or whatever it is. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, humans are like, you know, amazing creatures, right? Like I've, I've said this a million times, but like, you know, God or evolution or the universe or whatever you want to call it kind of gave every single animal like some evolutionary advantage, right? Some animals have sharp claws and big teeth and some can have, you know, camouflage or can have venom or like whatever. Everybody has like something. And for human beings, right? Like we don't have claws or teeth or anything, but we have this brain. We have this incredible yeah. mind that when it's harnessed and directed, it's the most incredible thing that can go out there and imagine something that doesn't exist, go out there and kind of build things. And, and it can also like shoot you in the foot and totally work against you if it's, if it's using you. Um, and that's, you know, one of the things that, that has driven me down this path of like, okay, like I need to, I need to learn this thing. I need to figure out how this thing actually works. I need to have it work for me and not be ran by it completely and just have this thing kind of, you know, throw me all over the place. And that's, I think probably what most people are going through right now, right? It's just kind of easy to jump in this place during the pandemic of, well, I can't control any of this stuff, right? All this stuff is happening Mm -hmm. to me. And if I feel anxiety or if I feel anger, it's because 
somebody else is making my life anxious or making my life angry and they need to show up and fix this thing because (laughs) I didn't do this. So that's where a lot of it. I actually would push back a a little bit if I can play devil's advocate. I think our advantage isn't just the fact that we've got this amazing mind. I think that is one of our advantages. But the intelligence that we carry in our body, the intelligence that we have in our emotions, um, if you even want to go a step further, the intelligence in our spirituality, I think those intelligent forms um, uh, of, I guess, being or sitting with that, I, to me, that is as much as I spent my twenties in trying to master my mind, what it meant, having a great attitude, um, you know, working really hard, showing a certain way, doing my affirmations, like, and trying to really understand the mind, understand the nervous system and go through it. it all of that was wonderful. And one way of interacting with the world, but man, is that a limiting way of interacting with the world. I, I would go a little bit further back and say that the advantages that God universe has given to each animal is more than just the physical claw or the size of the brain or, or how that's interacting. It's the level of intelligence and the t- form of intelligence that each of these um, beings do have. And so for me, what's been fascinating and a lot of working with Dr. Matt, it, it was it was. I couldn't fathom it again when he would go like, no, like you're thinking about that feeling and how do you feel about this? And I'm like, well, what I think is, no, 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 but how do you feel about it? And then also just movement in the body, how you can be able to move your body, how you can breathe in different ways that has a um, a magical or it seems magical uh, intervention, I guess, in the way that you're experiencing the world and the way that you're showing up and the experience that you're creating with others. And to me, being able to do that just through the mind and mastering the mind, darn, is it so limiting. Like you can react and be able to um, connect with people in that way. But what I've realized is once you become comfortable with other forms of intelligence that you have access to, some people are mastering their body and some people do it in a physical way. Some people mastering their emotions and, um, you know, having those tools. But if you can be able to have multiple tools in your tool chest, not only can you have a different experience, but the way that you're interacting with people is different. And the way that you've, as comfortable as you are with different emotions or a different level of intelligence, it's almost like when you talk to someone who's read the same book and you can kind of speak the same language or you you literally do speak another language and you can relate to somebody differently, it's the same thing. So the more work that you've done on this level of emotional um, spectrum or the more work that you've done with your body, biohacking or spirituality, it just gives you, to me, the way I experience this, it's just another language set where I can be able to really interact with somebody differently for me going through anxiety depression suicide I I can be able to now have conversations with somebody at a very vast different level whereas before I could try to understand intellectually what they're going through versus really being able to meet them in that emotion and being able to work from that place and and it's just a different experience so um, that's been part of Dr. Matt's work and one of the reasons that people literally do pay him $50,000 to work with them, $100,000 to work with them is because he can be able to teach them not just how to master their mind, but master their entire self. And for some people really be able to figure out what that is, is I'm not my business. I'm not my relationship. I'm not, you know, my job. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that, Dr. Matt. What are the main patterns that you've seen of 
why not just entrepreneurs, but I know you work a lot with entrepreneurs, why they decide to work with you and um, what kind of got you personally on this path of learning all of these different levels of skill versus just being in that intellectual mindset? Well, and, and let me also say on that note, like I think when I say, you know, our mind, you know, I, I recognize that there's a, a mind-body connection, right? Where it's like feeling, like you said, like a gut feeling, right? And we have as many neural connections in our gut as we do, I think, in our brain. Dr. Matt, maybe you can speak to that. Um, but I, I, so I get that there's a body intelligence, right? That in addition to the mind intelligence. I wonder how much of under our spirituality, I guess, is still processed in our mind or our, you know, how much of that's in our body and things like that. I mean, I, I recognize that for sure. Um, but yeah, Dr. Matt, on, on Sherry's question, I guess, in, in your work with entrepreneurs and, and all that, that, yeah. Yeah, so um, I'll segue into that and tie it back to an experience that you had before. Mm -hmm. So when you had acupuncture on your elbow and it fixed your knee, did you process that through your mind? Uh, I was in disbelief that it even happened to me. <laughs> right. So the mind was actually working against totally this totally. intelligence that was going on. Totally, right? yeah. So the the mind and the functioning of the mind is a whole thing. Um, and on top of that, there is also perhaps should one choose to believe it and has been talked about and used for thousands and thousands of years, this whole system of energies that's moving through the body. When I look at intelligences, I look at four primary domains, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, right? So each human has a kind of configuration of the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual that allows them access to their unique giftedness. And a lot of people look at things like typological assessments, right? Like Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram to kind of get a sense of how they're put together. But most people probably recognize that when you're in your groove and when you're in your magic, then that's really where your most capable self shows up. So these intelligences are all things that can be studied, understood, accessed, learned, and they're a way into our own magic and getting uh, support for that and helping us to find the way that we do that more deeply and more fully is for so many people the path to healing or the path to business growth or the path to, you know, good quality relationships and unseating a lot of assumptions that we're supposed to be good at something that we're not necessarily all that great at. So I think, you know, helping someone find their unique self and the real kind of magic of who they are is often what sets the business on fire and really helps them to stay in their power and their magic um, and forcing people into a way of experiencing themselves based on their upbringing, based on social or cultural rules, based on, you know, just kind of the way the business environment set up really limits um, their access to the all the parts of them that could be really powerful and useful. So part of the work that I focused on for so long is like teasing through all the things that we've been told and showed and kind of just brought into our own awareness of who we are and unpacking and unlocking that, but then really showing people, okay, if you operate from this core natural giftedness, 
then you apply that to business in this way, then there's massive opportunity for growth. And, you know, like had clients have all kinds of successes, you know, multiple six figure launches, like all that kind of stuff. That's, you know, fun and cool to talk about, but more importantly, is it's not just a thing they did. It's not a widget, right? It's not just a system. It's that they're evolving as humans and it's, they're applying it to business, yes, but their understanding of themselves and the depth and richness of their own life is really getting magnified. And then they can aim that at business or relationship or health or whatever else and really kind of up-level the whole experience. So it's different than growth alone. It's evolution. And that evolution has a whole different set of outcomes that it's able to bring with it. So, okay. So, so I guess on a practical note, you know, if somebody right now is listening in and they think, okay, like I, I, I definitely recognize the need to do this work. Um, I've got a hard time maybe accessing, I, I turn off or I check out of certain emotions or I notice when I get overwhelmed, I distract myself or whatever. Um, what are some, and, and maybe if they don't have, you know, big money to hire you starting out, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, what would be some practical things that you would recommend? Is there a, is there maybe some books you recommend or some practices that you'd recommend or where does somebody start to start incorporating some of this new ways of being just maybe on their own to start out? Yeah. Awesome question. So, you know, a, a million different books have said this for, you know, hundreds of years. Meditation is free and you literally can do it in five minutes a day. Yeah. And if you set a timer and just sit and count your breath for five, 10, 15, 20 minutes a day, I promise you in six months, the way you experience yourself will be radically different. The, the big, un, I'm not sure how uh, swear friendly this is, um, but the, the big unfucking that I did for my mind was I sat in meditation and I watched how my mind thought and I caught the patterns of thought and recognized them not as thoughts, but of a pattern of how my brain wanted to do it. That's free. Everyone literally should have some sort of meditation practice. Some people need to do that through dance or yoga or something else. That's totally okay. So that's one thing. And, and meditation apps, like all that stuff is free and available. Um, in six months, your life will be different or your money back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the second thing that I would recommend is for people to do what I was saying about, you know, 20 minutes ago and name their emotions. So if you're in the shit of your emotions and it's kind of kicking your butt, then I would kind of go for a walk, you know, find some place on your own and name what it is that you're feeling. I'm feeling really sad right now. Oh, I'm feeling embarrassed. I'm feeling ashamed. And shame is a whole spiral. I mean, you can read Brene Brown's work on that. There's a, a whole process that kind of hijacks the neurology and shame. But if you can name it, oftentimes it does that initial process of getting the brain and the body to start to talk. And if you just give it a second to not try to think your way out of it, but you just allow yourself to say, I feel angry, I feel ashamed, I feel embarrassed, I feel whatever. And just let that be true. Oftentimes the biochemistry starts to reset and we start to get more perspective. We can take a deep breath and there's something else that can happen. Right on. Very cool. So 
One of the questions I have for, especially again, what we're experiencing today, one of the things I'm noticing on social media, which I'm sure is on everyone's timeline, is how mean we are all being to each other. You know, like if you don't believe this or if you do believe this, just go ahead and unfriend me or educate yourself or, you know, go do this. And to me, the way I'm seeing that is a lot of overwhelmed nervous systems that are just trying to process out loud. So what are some of the, um, what are some of the tools that you have of outside of just for ourselves to be able to like kind of navigate of being aware of the impact that something like that has on other people. I guess the question I'm asking is, how would you recommend for somebody to be just a good fucking human being at this point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Social media is an interesting one, right? Especially Facebook. So the first thing I would recommend is to identify what your purpose for being on Facebook is. Sure. Most people end up in the scroll and they have no idea why they're there other than they're already overwhelmed and they're in checkout, right? So if you're in a hostile environment and you're already checked out, it's really likely that you're going to be sucked into confrontation. The second thing is that you need to recognize Facebook specifically is designed to create conflict because they're trying to maximize time on screen so they can show you more ads. So they want to give you information. This isn't conspiracy theory. This is well-documented. Um, they want to give you things that keep you neurologically hooked to the scroll, right? So they want to show you images and videos that evoke all the emotions. So you get cute dog and puppy videos, you get interesting scientific articles, and then you get the stuff that pisses you off. And it keeps you hooked into that process. So recognize that you're already from the jump in trouble on social media because you have an, an AI, an artificial intelligence aimed at your brain to get you hooked to staying there and staying emotionally uh, tied into the process. So identifying why you're there, recognizing that's an adverse environment, and then having a code of conduct. So for me, I made a post on Facebook um, maybe about a month ago and say, said, everyone's opinion is welcome here. You are obliged to operate with decorum and with kindness on any of my posts. I will never unfriend you because of your perspectives, but you have to be a good human. Like, and that sets the stage for every interaction that I have on Facebook. So I also think it's valuable and useful to recognize that almost nothing's getting solved on Facebook. You know, that's not where the magic is at. Amen. You know, if, yes. <laughs> how many people that you yelled at actually changed their mind? Like, it's just making them more entrenched. So if you're angry at the people on Facebook and you're yelling at them and they're not changing your mind, why are you wasting your energy? Like, take a breath, man. Go out and put your feet in the grass. Like, do something else. And yes, there's a lot of bad that is happening in the world right now and a lot of scary things. And the truth is that all that anger is really sitting on top of fear for most people. I'm afraid of what happens if this is true, or I don't know how to come to terms with this thing that I'm feeling. So they go into this fear process that shows up as anger, and then you know it turns to shit. So if you're upset, then take a breath, step away, and decide what you want to do with it. Do you actually want to go, you know, volunteer for something that's helping, you know, children who have been trafficked, like go do something useful or decide to stay in your lane, 
build a business that does good, you know, make a whole bunch of money and give it away. Like whatever it is, decide to do that and go do it. Heck yeah. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Matt, thank you so much, man, for taking the time and just being here and going through all this stuff. I know <laughs> it's a lot to chew on for everybody that's listening in, but I think, I mean, that's exactly right. A meditation practice, even on five minutes a day, which everybody can carve out five minutes a day, uh, is, is critical. And then I like that naming, naming, you know, what's going on, observing like, oh, okay, I'm feeling sad and giving sadness a name. I'm feeling anger. I'm feeling checked out. I'm feeling, and then like, where's that coming from? What's going on here? And that's uh, journaling. Journaling has been a huge exercise for me of just getting to like talk to myself and saying, hey, self, yeah. what's going on here? <laughs> uh, any closing thoughts for you, Sherry? Yeah, I mean, no, thank you so much. I, I personally get so much from your work and, and um, I always put you on a pedestal for the level of human that you are and really your work and what you do in the world. So I appreciate that. I guess the last question I have is, are there any questions you wish we would have asked you that we didn't get a chance to ask you? Yeah, that's a good one. I love that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know questions. Like, I, I guess what I would love to do is just highlight a, an idea. And it's we touched on it for just a moment. And that's that the moment of most chaos is the moment of most opportunity. And we are in the moment of most chaos. Sure. And if we let an unexamined neurology run the show, then we're going to go down the river that the chaos wants to take us. So the more sovereign, the more capable, the more in tune, the more in touch we are with where we exist in that chaos, the more capable we are in our neurology and our emotions and our spirit and our heart, then the more steering we have to do out of this chaotic kind of swerve that humanity is in, into something much more benevolent, more beautiful, more useful, more rich. Literally everything I do is focused around that, is getting us to a point where humanity is more beautiful, more powerful, more useful than ever before. We're in the test. So, you know, high level thought perhaps, but just know like if you're feeling down, know that there's an opportunity here and it's up to you to grab it for yourself and it starts with having some of that awareness in your own kind of body and being beautiful and i guess i should say for people who do want to get in touch with you and get to learn more about you um what's the best way for them to be able to connect with you and your work yeah you got a book coming out too i think in a little bit book that came out yeah a little while ago um so for people who are in more of the spiritual conversation um that the book is more designed for that um i believe that in the same way people have been repressing their emotions they've all also been repressing the soul and the spiritual side of them and there's a lot of people who are awakening to the mystical process that isn't woo woo it's just a natural part of being human um so the book's called awakening the mystics it's available on amazon for people who are inclined for that type of material that's available. Um, and you can also just find me on my website, which is Dr. Matt K, D-R-M-A-T-T-K.com. Super simple. Um, and it keeps track of most of the stuff that I'm doing out there. Very cool. Thank you so much, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a new perspective. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you like this video, give it a like, give it a share, and uh, we'll see you next time.